Welcome to this episode of the Seed Seller Academy Podcast, sponsored by the Seed Seller Blueprint Live, number one program on how to sell to farmers. We teach salespeople how to make selling easier than ever before. We show them how to take price, the need for programs, and the need for proof of performance out of the conversation and get the producers to not just buy, but follow their lead. As smart as today's farmers are, things are changing so fast. They don't know what they don't know. So not only do we make selling easier, we show sellers how to help farmers raise higher yields than they ever thought possible or could do on their own. This episode is also brought to you by the Sales Handling Objection Playbook. How do you respond when a farmer says you got beat by 20 bushels this year? Do you have any test plot data? It's too early to order. I don't know what I'm gonna do yet. Or my personal favorite, I can save $40,000 in seed costs by buying your competitor's seed cheaper. The Handling Sales Objection Playbook gives salespeople a step-by-step process, including word-for-word scripts on how to handle the most common comments and objections farmers give salespeople who call on them. Just go to the rcthomas.com playbook to purchase this exclusive training tool today. We don't teach the old way of doing things. We teach the 21st century way farmers buy. We're the only source for that kind of information. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Seed Seller Academy podcast. This is a very special day for us because I have a very special person with me today. Someone who I have worked with for, I don't know how many years it's been, Matt, but it's been back in 2003 or something like that. I think it was 2003 we started working together. Matt was the right-hand man uh, initially of a guy named Clint Johnson, which a podcast you watched earlier on, who was the former owner of Millbourne Seed. Well, after a few years uh, of very successful growth with the company, Matt is now the proud owner of Melbourne Seed and has done an amazing job and continuing to grow this business. In fact, he's got some things to talk about that absolutely blew my mind today on how they're growing the business, where the business is going, and what a uh, thinker Matt is in terms of strategy and vision for the future of the seed business and also other ties into how they work with the uh, sustainability of farmers, all those kind of things. It's pretty amazing. So I can't tell you how proud I am and how, what a privilege it is today, Matt, to have you on our podcast. And uh, we're going to freewheel it today a little bit. Yeah. Uh, start out maybe f- being, uh, find out a little bit about you, uh, for example, uh, your background. And, but I want to first of all say thanks for taking time today to be on our, on our podcast. Well, thanks for the opportunity. We appreciate it. You're welcome. So let's start by talking about where you grew up, a little about your background, and eventually how you got into business. Well, I moved a long ways from home here. Um, I'm an hour and a half uh, from the home farm. Uh, grew up in a, uh, Fulda, Minnesota, and then uh, ended up coming to South Dakota State to attend college, and we can talk about that later. I, uh, I attended. I don't know how well I, well I did there. but uh, And then uh, married my uh, high school sweetheart. Actually, she wasn't a preschool sweetheart, but we went to preschool together. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, we're still married. Awesome. And two wonderful kids, and that's how we ended up here in Brookings. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I met your wife. Beautiful young lady. Sharp, too. She still looks She's young. She's pretty smart. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She's with me, isn't she? <laughs> well, that's part of it. <laughs> so, uh, out of college, how'd you get in the business with Melbourne? Uh, that was an interesting... I needed a job. Okay. So... Um, I was an 18-year-old two weeks into my freshman year in Brookings here and uh, was referred here uh, by a landscaper I had worked with the previous summer who happened to purchase maybe four bags of seed a year from Millbourne Seeds. So it was a completely <laughs> random course of event. Well, nothing's random, but it was a, interesting how that worked out. And I ended up starting well, one September evening at 9 o'clock at night. Uh, it was a four- or five-hour switchgrass cleaning shift. Oh, so that was my first shift fun. ever at Millbourne. Um <laughs> And have been here. Uh, we celebrate start dates at Millbourne. Um, so what's fascinating about that is we get to celebrate two of mine because I am uh, I quit. I quit <laughs> after two and a half years. Okay. Uh, uh, and then ended up coming back when Clint came into the picture. He hired me back on oh. back in 2000. So I'm the only one that gets to celebrate two. There you go. But I've basically been here uh, over half my life. Well, that's awesome. So <clears throat> what was your job when you first came to Millbourne right? and, and, uh, t- with Clint? One, yeah, once we moved on past the warehouse, um, I, I would back up a little bit beyond that. Before Clint came in and I was working for the previous owner, uh, I was then asked to, promoted, whatever you want to say, to become a sales rep. Uh, 
and that sounded like fun <laughs> because I, I got a pickup and, and a, and a commission schedule and, and then that's all I got. Okay. Uh, and I had no idea what to do. Uh-huh. So I struggled a bit and wasted a lot of the owner's fuel <laughs> <laughs> driving around in his pickup. And, and I think it's fascinating and, you know, maybe you don't want to get into it at this oh, level, but what, what, what's, what's fascinating about it, and I love to tell our young sales guys these stories. I usually let them <laughs> on board for a few weeks first, but I would have days where I would put 400 miles on our pickup <laughs> and never make a stop because I was, af- I was too afraid. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And, and I think to see where we've come from, from that um, and to really overcome those fears Mm -hmm. and but I never uh, I never got over that for like over a year Mm -hmm. and then I ended up quitting which Mm -hmm. could you imagine you know sort of probably frustrated I mean what was I to do couldn't blame you really and I well I mean I'll take responsibility for it but I wasn't figuring out a way to get better at this yeah so I left for a time finished up with school uh and then Clint came into the picture um to purchase the business from the original owner and he was introduced to me by him and and came back on board and Clint hired me really to be a sales rep which I don't know what that says about Clint <laughs> I just I just thought of that uh, but things were much differently right off the yeah. bat um, with him we uh, we had a much better plan um, and and he was really good about talking through things and about developing and and so much of the of, of his skill set was on developing people and, and really building things out and that really helped and I learned that I needed to get back in the habit of what I learned when I was uh, younger which was reading and knowledge and, and I really got back into that and then we ended up after a short amount of time realizing that we were a really tiny uh, primarily wholesale seed company at that time and that we were not gonna make it if we didn't do something differently um, and then we found you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Clint did quite a bit of research and, and figured out that you might be a good option for us. Mm-hmm. And we ended up in a hotel conference room we in Marshall. Marshall, Minnesota. If I remember right. <laughs> yep. And uh, and that's where it started. Yep. And we, uh, we learned that we could offer more than a product and that we had a value that we could provide and I really thank you for that because that has been a catalyst for this organization and we haven't you know we've really never forgotten that well i was telling clint uh at our podcast we did with clint a while back that um you're great you guys were great listeners um you were eager to learn you wanted to win uh, but you executed almost everything we talked about in in your fashion that you could execute it and really did a nice job of that so the credit goes to you uh for really wanting to to make it to make it work yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in our defense, we were working with a corn guy here, mm-hmm. right? Yes, you were. We were Absolutely. working with a corn guy. So we had to, we had to kind of make it our own, like yep. you said, and, and, and figure that out. But the concepts, belief and value yep. and, and, and those things are, yeah. are just, they're principles. Yeah. They apply anywhere. And I think once you decide you're the grass seed specialist. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, we've dropped. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not all ideas <laughs> last forever. Do you want, should we talk about the red phone for a while? Well, why not? <laughs> or the intention plan or whatever it was. Right. Rod, we, you know, interestingly enough, we didn't implement every one of your ideas. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was so much fun, though. The red phone concept was an idea that I said, hey, you know, how fast do you guys answer the phone? Do you have a red phone on your desk? So the customer walks in and says, wow, what's that? That's, my heart. That's our hotline. Customer hotline. 24 hours a day. <laughs> Now we have like 30 red phones. I'll bet you do. Yeah. I'll bet you do. So take us now down the road a little bit. Uh, the business is starting to grow pretty fast. Um, how did your role change as you as this business really started to take off? Uh, Were you still a salesman? Yeah, and I'm a I'm a salesperson at, at heart. Okay. I, I really enjoy. Uh, I'll get on my soapbox for a minute here. I, I think sales is a very noble profession, and I and I don't believe that it's always looked upon that way. And there's plenty of people that call themselves salespeople that don't help our cause out. Either. <laughs> True. That, that's a big part of the problem. Yeah. But think of, you're really serving people in big ways and trying to provide solutions and solve problems for them. And, and you know, I just thoroughly enjoy that. Yeah. So our organization has that heart mm-hmm. uh, about it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as transfer, I mean, I, 
I've had about every job here. <laughs> I even helped carry an invoice way in the past, which was probably a mistake. <laughs> it definitely was a mistake. Okay. Um, we uh, we transitioned then from sales into a role, and I remember, as I remember it, you being a pretty integral part in this, um, into a role of like an operations person, mm-hmm. someone who could make sure that um, everything we were promising, that we could get it delivered, mm-hmm. you know, basically get the bags of seed out the door and get them yep. to the people on time and transitioned into that role. And then that morphed into, in that role, ended up transitioning into a buyer role, a uh, product buyer. And then from there, as we continued to grow, we added people. And then that morphed into um, like product manager for the product groups. So then it was more of a um, definitely all kinds of vendor relationships and then relationships with multiple other companies. And from that, uh, it grew into a, even a, an even bigger team. And then into all kinds of titles that I should have never had, but you know I thought they were important, so I'd give myself titles back when I thought they were important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did a little business development work. Um, laughable when I look at the person we have doing that for us now, but <laughs> attempted that. And ended up becoming um, eventually uh, a part owner mm-hmm. with Clint a few years ago, and then ultimately a couple of seasons ago uh, purchasing the whole thing. And, and now... I carry the title of CEO. For a while, I carried the title of CEO and president. Mm-hmm. And the way we define president around here, which we didn't have it defined before, we never would have put me in that role. Okay. <laughs> uh, the way we define president around here is someone who's uh, definitely in charge of executing daily, the day-to-day on our vision and mission. Mm-hmm. So that's very heavily involved with people and the execution of the things that we have decided that we want to do. Yeah. Not a good spot for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love to coach people. Mm -hmm. I love to uh, walk through things. But when it comes to like making sure that we get it dialed in on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. that was that was not quite the right thing. But we didn't have the person to fill it. Sure. So we developed him. Mm -hmm. And now we have uh, proud to say Marcus Heemstra in that role, uh, someone who's been on our team for five years, a a young guy, and and he's he's crushing it. That's awesome. So it's awesome to see. And and we continue to develop. leaders really throughout the organization uh, need to make a have a couple people identified as some key hires um, really at the highest levels to be able to bleed that down through the organization it's a never-ending battle yeah. it, it really yeah. is yeah so let's go back to your sales history mm-hmm. because it looks to me like you've also injected that now I'm sure that Clint has something to do with it but look looks like you have taken that sales concept and really continued to inject that into the organization because obviously with this beautiful facility you have here uh, 52,500 square feet you're about to add on another one just the same size next to it the growth has been phenomenal that's sales right so it's got to come from somewhere (laughs) yes so how do you how do you keep that mentality as the CEO uh, injected into the mentality of your people because lots of times as companies grow uh, they they departmentalize themselves more. And while you're in sales, I'm in you know production or whatever. How do you keep that injected into the people? Uh, well, or how have you we, done it? We, maybe for parts of days we've lost focus of this, but we've really never lost focus of it's ultimately about the the client mm-hmm. or the customer, mm-hmm. right? So the entire organization is in service to that. So if we set up silos, we're never, we're not going to be in service to that. Then we're in service to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of some specific examples. You have to fight that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to fight that. The key way to fight it is to hire the right people. So we haven't had to fight battles like a lot of organizations have mm-hmm. had to fight. Like we've had people that uh, want success. Mm-hmm. They want individual success. They want team success. And they certainly want the customer to be successful. So I think that's how we, I think that's how we've done it. If how long want, does it take to find somebody like that? I mean, how, what's your hiring process? Uh, it's it's fairly extensive, um, and we've refined it um, somewhat over the years. But I think the 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 biggest thing about our hiring process is that it's multiple touch points. So we're typically five, six, seven times of interactions with different people throughout the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and every step along the, that path, uh, the person can either proceed to the next step within or, you know, you're not mm-hmm. going to be a fit for us. And skill set is certainly important, mm-hmm. um, and in some roles more than others. Uh, you, have to be, you have to be able to at least develop the right skills. But 
uh, cultural fit is the biggest thing for us. If, if we don't have cultural fit, um, it's, it's not going to work. And it only takes one bad apple to spoil yeah. a whole barrel. Yeah. And we've had situations over the years that have not been ideal. And, and, you know, my best advice in those situations, which we had to learn the hard way because we didn't operate this way, is you have to move on from those situations as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, now when we, when we make a mistake, we own it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried as hard as we could up front because it's an extensive process. Uh, but but if it's not going to work, we usually know within 60 to 90 days mm-hmm. if it's not going to work. And I never feel guilty about that. Mm-hmm. And and some people, I think, feel guilty if they have to release someone. Mm-hmm. And and I don't, I don't ever want to fire anyone. Mm-hmm. But the way I look at it is we're releasing them to something that is going to be better for them yeah. as well. And when I look at the handful of situations over the years and have followed what's happened with those people, they are in a much yeah. better situation to a person. Mm-hmm. So there should be no guilt over that. That is so well said. And, and I think, you know, we're talking about sales here. Think about that if you ever have to fire a customer. Mm-hmm. It's true. the same thing. Yeah. Not every client or customer fits every salesperson or every organization. It is not, it's, it never has been and never will be. Wow. And, and as a salesperson, can I coach sales a little bit? Absolutely. Okay. Man. So Please as a, dude, how it, people watch this yeah, are sales well, people. I'll, I'll, I'll try. Rod, <laughs> correct me if I say anything that goes against what you say. No problem. Um, as a salesperson, um, if you allow the wrong customers to take up your time, how are you ever going to be able to serve the ones that really do value what you have to offer them? And then the distractions it provides and the, the feeling of misery when you're at home with your family, like is life is not worth that. I looked at the camera for that one. It's just not worth it. It's not (laughs) worth it. You just said, uh, such an important point that I talk about sometimes firing customers. Mm -hmm. Firing is a, just a term, right? Mm -hmm. You don't really, but, letting customers go that aren't going to don't want to be on your team they don't want to push help you move forward they just don't want to right you can decide that on your own but you just said a such an important point about this whole concept of of uh having people on your team whether it's a customer or a salesperson on your in your company that really is going to better themselves and your company by being there i mean i couldn't have said it better well and you know in our scenario we have thousands of these people that are raving fans. Mm-hmm. They, they really are. They appreciate what we're doing for them. Why would we listen to a handful of naysayers? Yeah. Like, let's, let's, let's move on from yeah. that. And sometimes someone's upset for, f- with us because we've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Not intentional, but mm-hmm. we, a shipment's been Maybe missed or whatever. Like, yeah. we've, we fix it. We clean them up. We fix them. We, we take care of those scenarios. But um, it's amazing how many times that the customers you need to get rid of are the ones that always have the problems. And you start to kind of think, well, what's the common correlation? Yeah. What, what's the correlation? So, um, yeah, d- yeah, don't get stuck with that or you're going to really hinder yourself as a, yeah. as a person and an organization. Wow. Let's go back to the hiring process. One of yeah. the biggest challenges companies uh, that I've worked with continue to face is hiring, mm-hmm. finding good people. Um, let's go into that just a little bit deeper. Yeah. How do you, First of all, maybe this isn't a, a question you can answer. How do you measure cultural fit? Is there a way to tell whether or not that they're fit for your culture by meeting them several times or talking with them? Or how, how, do, you, how do you do that? Yeah, it, it really, um, I would say one of the key things is placing them around um, significant chunks of the team members. Okay. Um, and as we get bigger, it, it used to be a, a random free-for-all, like, mm-hmm sometimes we'd make them show up and have lunch with the entire 12 person company yeah. at the time. And, yeah. and that was actually a little st- stressful for those <laughs> parties, but Hey, some of them made it through it. Sure. Um, now it's like, which teams are you going to be involved with? If we bring you onto the, it bring you into the organization and, and do you fit well with that? And, and it's multiple times, right? Because we've got people on the team that they were maybe a little nervous in their first interview. And, and you have to, you know, you have to have the right people interviewing that can look past nerves and understand if it's the right fit. And the more times you bring them in, the more chance you have at seeing their real, Mm -hmm. their real self. Mm -hmm. And then we put them in different environments. We put them in a conference room, like a traditional interview. We walk out in the warehouse, Mm -hmm. we take them to lunch Mm -hmm. and, um, you just put them in different environments. And like, ultimately if 
uh, sort of a the tribe mm-hmm. uh, thinks that they would be a, a member that that fits, mm-hmm. then then that checks that box, mm-hmm. um, and then we get more in tune with are they the personality style that fits um, a role like this? Mm-hmm. Um, is it a personality style we need to complete a team? Is it then, then a skill set? You know, notice I went to skills third mm-hmm. um, because we can develop. We skills. can develop skills. Teach skills. Yeah, we can certainly do that. What about the? Uh, do you ever do any things like uh, in social settings with their family themselves, or meet them in their house, or them meet? You know, how do you do do any of that? Yeah, what we like to do is um, if they have a, a spouse or a significant other, we we like to try to get together with them um, and to just ex- experience what they're like in a in an environment like that. And yeah. so that's of course we usually usually are, are uh, out at a restaurant mm-hmm. um, eating and that would be like their the person that would be their direct leader mm-hmm. um, and a couple other people within yeah. the organization I usually try to do most of those yeah. um, and then that that also gives you a feel for you know what's the what's the support network yeah. like um, because here uh, we're doing big things and that's a pull mm-hmm. on the people that work here it's in a you know I, th- I think it's an amazing place to be mm-hmm. but it is not for everyone mm-hmm. um there are a lot of people that would not fit here yeah. um if you want to compartmentalize work and personal you can't work here mm-hmm. you will not survive mm-hmm. because we are all doing life together <laughs> not work life not personal life we're all doing life together some of us hang out outside of work. Some of us don't hang outside of work. But at the end of the day, we're all—that's awesome. We're all living a life here, mm-hmm. and and we're trying to be very purposeful very cool. with that. Very cool. Well, Jody's here uh, in the background, too shy to come on our camera with us. But I think that's significant because I know she's been a big support of the years uh, of both Melbourne and you and all those kind of things. I remember uh, when I got hired the first time in my first job at Trojan, um, a guy who was being interviewed also. Uh, for the same job, brought his wife along. And she sat there next to him and read a book the whole time during the interview and didn't get the job <laughs> because of the level of interest she didn't show in, in that participation. So point well taken. Well, I, th- I think a, a spouse, at, at least, it, they're so important. Yeah. And, and certainly in, in my scenario, um, I often joke, and I hope it's a joke because it could have been more reality <laughs> than anything else, but I mean – Without her, I, I could very easily be drinking a 30-pack of beer yeah. each night and not really caring about life. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, she really provides, and my family yeah. provides a, a significant amount yeah. of purpose. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I, you can see it when you walk into this facility. I mean, people are happy. They like what they're doing. So let's take that as the foundation, then, uh, that you've gotten built here uh, very successfully with the people you have as, as the core of your organization. Let's take that out in the marketplace a little bit and talk about uh, at whatever level you want and where the seed business is going. I mean, where's Millborn headed? Uh, what do you think of the business today as far as if you were going to start a seed business today? Could you start a seed business? But let's let's find out where what your vision is of Millborn and, and how it fits into the marketplace. Yeah. So I think we, uh, for years, uh, no one really took us seriously in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you weren't a, a major crop input supplier, yeah. like what are you? Corn and soy beans yeah, You're whatever. not corn, soy, yeah. wheat, like yeah. you're, a, you're a grass seed company. Oh, yeah. I mean, grass comes from seed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's, right. that's kind of the, what that looked like. And, and, but we've served a, a very legitimate purpose uh, whenever we get into uh, diverse situations. So if we just look at the agricultural side for a minute and, you know, we can talk or not talk about the reclamation side and the conservation side and, and it all it all ties together but you know our agricultural customers are are very uh a core customer if we were going to have like an ideal customer um that we directly work with and we have all avenues of, of working with customers but if we directly work with he's a livestock producer um probably a cow calf guy okay um and you know those those types of people need more than just corn and soybeans mm-hmm. and and they need a forage plan and they need uh they can integrate cover crops into their operation and and we were dealing with cover crops before cover crops was you know even talked about mm-hmm. uh, and and now it looks like moving forward with climate change whether you want to agree or disagree with that i yeah. think you know i think the 
the trains left the station. For we're real. gonna we're gonna say that there's totally. climate change, and of course there's climate change. Climate, I mean, it changes all the time. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's just it, it's who do you want to blame, yeah. right? So we're not in the blame game, but we're we're looking at what are the things that we can do um, that can help mitigate some of these things that lots of different people care about, and along those lines, we've uh, we're making some changes that really make us not look like a seed company a standalone seed company um we fired up an entity called Agspire, uh which is really it's brand new so uh the, the the couple people that we have within that organization always want me to be careful about how many great things i say about <laughs> it because then they have to live up to it right but it, it is truly coming um there's a need in the marketplace to help farmers ranchers and landowners uh, navigate the myriad uh, pro of programs that are out there. Um, for instance, uh, I, I think I was telling you this this earlier, but just in the state of South Dakota, if you want to convert uh, a piece of cropland back into perennial grass, there's there's that we've identified so far. There's 17 different pathways to be wow. able to do that to get some sort of incentive or compensation for that. How is he supposed to know that? And and how do you know that? Yeah. And and they may they may know of one or two of them. And and the and what's interesting about it is very few of them are uh, administered by the same organization or agency. So if you want to go solve a little particular problem for uh, a monarch butterfly, and I don't mean that that's a little problem, I'm saying that's a very one track. Mm -hmm. We want to solve monarch butterfly habitat. Well, there's a lot of things that we can do that can provide habitat for all kinds of other wildlife that can provide grazing for livestock that can provide water quality. We can do all that and not just be thinking about one focus. So the problem or the opportunity, it's not a problem, it's an opportunity, is for an organization to come in and to be able to work with the governmental organizations, the non-governmental organizations, the private businesses that want to uh, offset uh they want to offset their carbon usage. They want to, uh, they have sustainability goals, um, and they want to meet these, and they have specific things that they want to go after. Eggspire can do that for them. We believe we can build out a team that is going to be able to consult with the landowners, the farmers, and wow. the ranchers, and allow them to get implemented. Because wow. right now they're struggling to, people want to do things mm -hmm and they're struggling to get them implemented. And we're so connected to the yeah. land and so connected to these individuals that we feel like we're situated in the best spot mm -hmm. to be able to help them. You also have the knowledge of what to do, what to put on the land, those kinds of things too, which is very important, right? right? These guys yeah. are farming for a living. Yeah. Uh, and as, just like you talked about habitat, I remember you used to talk about the, uh, uh, what's that term, not AVR, I want to call it. Uh, CRP. Yeah, CRP. Uh, that you've done over the years for uh, protection of all kinds of wildlife, right? This has gone beyond that. This has gone beyond, like you talked about, carbon units and all those kinds of things. So what a visionary concept. Well, How did you come up with that concept? It, it's, uh, I, you know, I could take credit for it all myself, but that'd be a lie. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a group effort around here. Um, there's been some pretty key people. Um, one, of the, one of the guys on our team, Justin Frichty, was the one that, first kind of put some terminology to what we've the way we'd been trying to behave and then and then after a period of months we're like wait a minute we're not going to be able to lead anything here if we're just a you know mm -hmm. we're viewed as just a product company mm -hmm. well we're much more than that but that's yeah. that's how it was viewed so then and then we start talking this way and this kind of like we can tie back into your hiring process questions mm -hmm. we start talking this way and we start being purposeful in our actions and now all of a sudden we start attracting people that want to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. So then we attract Jared and he joins the team and, and Jared is like the world's greatest storyteller, practical person that I've ever met. Mm -hmm. um, and he, in his heart is in, the, I, I can't believe his heart is in such the right place. Mm -hmm. And it's very focused on the people. It's very focused on, an individual farmer doing something or an individual Helping rancher him. doing something. Mm -hmm. And, and really we, we talk a lot about, um, I mentioned incentives and I mentioned people wanting to spend money on this. And, and sometimes, uh, farmers and ranchers can be extremely independent mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> but if we step back for a minute and look at it and, and realize that agriculture, at least in the United States is, is 
does have some government controls to it. Um, whether it, like right now, crop insurance definitely plays a role in that. And if that if that changes, we want to make sure that we're influencing it in a positive way up front to leave options and choices mm-hmm. versus someone who has no care for the humans that are out yeah. here, but only cares about the land. Yeah. And, yeah. and you need to care about the land, yeah. but you better care about the people that are out here yeah. or you and I are not going to have, yeah. you know, you're not, Olivia, Minnesota is going to be like a, a grazing grounds for elk. Exactly. So, yeah. so like we, then there's a place for elk, but we need to integrate this, this stuff properly. And, and we want to, you know, we want to influence that mm-hmm. because we think we've had years of experience Yeah. and we've been kind of waiting in the wings. Mm-hmm. And, and we're ready and we're fired up. And when we talk to, when we talk to a farmer about this, um, to the person, they're excited. Mm-hmm. To the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exciting for us. New opportunity, right? And for them. New opportunity for them, too. A new way of taking care of the land, uh, which farmers are really concerned about. Land conservation. They're conservationists. They really are. They really are. Yeah. They, uh, we're, we're not telling our story well enough at times. When we do tell our story, mm-hmm. I'm talking agriculture now yeah. in general, when we do tell our story, it's disjointed. It's yeah. not. There's no cohesiveness right. to it. So we need to, we need to do a better job because the world, the world runs on stories. Yeah. It, it really does. How much will this, uh, you talk about the cow-calf guy or the livestock mm-hmm. guy primarily, how much will this spill over into the row crop guy? I mean, we have guys right now, uh, row crop guys. Traditional corn-soy rotation. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, interplanting I, or interseeding or all of that, how much will that spill over, do you think? I, I think fairly significantly. I, I think you're going you're gonna to see uh, an increased use of, of covers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're going to see an increase in diversity and you know people listening to this you 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 may laugh at that because you know the system has all been built for like highly efficient highly efficient but at some point in time you can't become more efficient Mm -hmm. okay and then we have the consumer clamoring for the opposite of what we're providing yes okay so those individuals that have wanted to step out and provide the consumer with what they want are generously rewarded Mm -hmm. for that Um, but it you know, it, it goes, it's, it's diversity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're going to, you're going to have to do chores. Yeah. And, and we've gone a couple generations now where we've lost that. Yeah. So it's going to, it's going to yeah. be interesting to see how that, yeah. how that plays out. Well, I, nothing, uh, shocks me today, nor do I laugh at anything that's out there because it's, uh, it's something that probably will become a trend eventually or become something that's needed. We all know what's needed is getting to that point fast enough is what our, our goal, our you know, challenge is obviously. So um, that's uh, quite a change, I would say, a shift in vision from what Millbourne originally was, the grass seed specialist. Are there any other changes you see down the road with your company uh, beyond that? I mean, that's that's already a big one. But are there any other things you see in the future? I think... I really believe we've landed on it, mm-hmm. it, and I think that I'll be dead and gone before what we've just talked about yeah. is ever at a level that yeah. we think we're going to be yeah. happy with. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Because for years, you know, uh, struggled with vision and purpose, and early on, it was survival, and that's what it should be for us for a small business. It really sure. should. You yeah. have to survive. Yeah. Um, and then it became about well, let's let's put some more money on the bottom line and you know i guess that's important to a degree too and now uh yeah we want to be profitable but it truly is a result of doing everything yeah. Yeah. properly you started out um by talking about uh your, your role in sales a little bit i want to go back to that because as i said before a lot of people t- watching this number of people will be in sales some mm-hmm. people um let's put your sales hat back on thank you yeah <laughs> Because I think you're very, well, I know you're very good at it. I've watched you uh, over the years. Work with both wholesale, retail, you can you can do it all. Um, I'm better at one than the other. Well, we'll all have our okay. fortes. Okay. But um, what advice would you give to a, a salesperson today? I mean, I deal with these guys every day at some level, and you have people who are rock stars, and then you have a, people that aren't. What advice would you give to a new person starting in the business today in the seed business, which uh, in, our, in our side of the seed business, we talk a lot about you're actually impacting the guy's livelihood. So it's a pretty serious it's buy, a pretty, important right? job. pretty serious sale. Yeah. 
but a lot of people don't go out there prepared, those kind of things. What advice would you give to salespeople today in this marketplace? Is this a five-hour podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want it to be. Um, that's a question that I could go a lot of different directions with, and let's figure out where to start here. Um, okay, not just salespeople. I see uh, the younger crowd, and we try to keep our company very young. Mm-hmm. Um, Why? W- w- well, I've old seen... Old guys like me don't want to change. <laughs> I, I love... <laughs> I really like the old guys. I am becoming one of the old guys. Like I, I truly do enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but I've seen a lot of organizations that have had some real awesome things going on, but they all got together at 29 years old and they were all 28 and a half to 29 and a half years old. And then at 55 or 60, they're like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. And then they didn't do, didn't do a good job of bringing up another generation. And then they don't have a business. Yep. Uh, we want to keep it young because we want this thing to be viable I love it. and we want it to, it's this, this business is about more than an, an, any individual person within it. It's, it's way more than that. So that's why we do that. But young people have a problem today. I'm going to generalize here, but young people have a problem today. And what it really is, is a, it, it was a parenting problem and it's the fault of their parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they don't know how to fail. Okay. They lack confidence. Um, they, they are waiting for the world to show up for them. And I'm not dissing our guys around here because we've sorted heavily and we, you know, we don't have that, but that can still come out at times yeah. in the young generation. It's just the way that they've, the way that they've grown up, the environment that they've mm-hmm. been in. So one of the things that I want to say is if people listening to this, if they've stayed on this long <laughs> and, and are still listening they, they may be thinking to themselves, wow, this sounds like a successful organization. That, that sounds like a successful person. Well, yeah, I may be successful, but I'm, I'm standing on the top of a mountain of failures. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody mm-hmm. needs to do. We need to fail. Yep. I had a, a young salesperson one time uh, where I was having, he was struggling a bit. And, and we got into, and I, I, have, I have no problem getting into deep conversations with people because we're, you know, we care about yeah. each other. Mm-hmm. Like that's the type of people that work here. And, and I asked him a point blank question and I said, did your parents ever let you fail? <laughs> and he stopped and thought a minute and he said, you know, I really don't remember an example of that. And, and I thought, well, hey, we love your parents. You know, you love your parents and, and they did the best that they could. But now we have to get you failing as fast <laughs> as possible. And, and I know I've, I keep saying the word fail, but like it's so True. important. You got to keep putting yourself out there. Yes. Rod, you talk all, all the time about preparation and, and ha- knowing your program and being confident in yourself and your company and your products. But that's true. Mm-hmm. That's all true. But you're going to put yourself out there and you're going to fail a lot yeah. along the way. You have to be okay exactly. with that. Great it is point. not a personal critique of you as a human mm-hmm. if someone tells you no. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Right. It's okay. That's so huge. It's okay. So I, I think that's one of the biggest things mm-hmm. that I see out of the young guys. Um, but when they can overcome that, I, I, I can think of, uh, again, another individual here and another example of uh, when it clicked. And it, it's almost like a, an instant transformation because now he's, he's interacting with way more potential clients and failing way more than he was mm-hmm. when he was so nervous about failing. Mm-hmm. But because he's, he's in it mm-hmm. and living it, he's way more successful. Yeah. But you also made it okay to fail. Yeah. That's the key, right? It's very crucial. Yeah. Um, there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of leaders that would not, right. would not do that. Yeah. I have people who keep these daily reports from people and what they did this today and they didn't <laughs> get this done today. And I said, why don't you just fire the guy? Because, you know, back years ago, Harvard Business Review came out with an article called Set Up the Fail Syndrome. And so let's just say you're not selling very well, much. Okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You and I are going to meet uh, every day, and we're going to talk about your sales. And then pretty soon you're meeting every, uh, you know, twice a day. And the more you pull them in to coach them, the more they, they fail because they don't have responsibility anymore. They aren't allowed to fail. You're taking on the, the process. So... You might as well just fire the person. So what you just said was was so key about the fail. And, and, and I, what I get here out of this organization is they've been allowed to fail. Definitely. They make mistakes. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And we, you know, 
we're at the point now where we're not going to send a brand new sales rep out and let yeah. him make a catastrophic mistake right. because a reputation takes a lifetime to build and totally. like one moment to go away. So <laughs> totally. like we're, we're careful about, you know, sometimes we control what's, what the failures right. are. Of course but, you do. But uh, it, it, is, it is so important in that. I, that's probably what more organizations need. And if you're working in an organization that doesn't have that, um, you can somewhat create that for yourself. Yeah. Um, just... Well, if someone's going to get frustrated for you because you didn't fill out some report that they wanted, mm-hmm. but yet you're effective mm-hmm. and you're crushing yeah. your goals, I think I, I think you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. And if you're not, and you're that type of person, yeah. there's plenty of other people in the world that would like that would that, like to employ absolutely, you. Absolutely, absolutely. Plenty of other people. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you how do you uh, keep your sales team excited? Uh, how do they work together? Uh, do you have a sales leader? Uh, who, how does that all work? Well, right now we're we're in a little bit of a time time of transition with that. Um, we've added we've added sales reps over the years. We have uh, several what I would call frontline sales reps, but we we sort of have two sales teams around here, um, and not that they're in silos and, and right. they they sit you know right. next to each other, but we have a group of people that we call our product managers. So they not only would sell things, um, but they're also the ones that are uh, in charge of a, a set product group on the procurement side. So they would get into situations where they may be uh, trading with other organizations or they may be doing larger volume things, both on procuring for ourselves or, or selling. And then we have our, our sales team that's more focused on direct mm-hmm. um, and direct to the end user or through uh, a retailer, an agricultural retailer, or someone who's reselling, you know, any of our myriad of dealers products. Or whatever. Dealers, yeah. yes, <clears throat> dealers. Why didn't I use that common term that everyone can understand? <laughs> dealers. Um, so I have a personal bias. The, the one thing that they really don't let me do a whole lot around here. Anymore. <laughs> and and, it, and it, it, it's good, you know. Even in our, we, we have this, we have this cattle business that we deal with too, and they don't let me do anything in that. Like, I'm about ready to put bib overalls on and go to the sale barn and buy old cows because that's the only thing they're going to let me do, right? But they're the, so modest. But, but, that the, blows me away. but the one, no, it's true. It really is. And and the one thing that's a sign of a good leader. I, well, Everything's operating perfectly. They don't need me anymore. I can yeah. go on vacation if yeah. I needed to. Well, yeah, I know. <clears throat> I did go on. I had the best vacation I've ever had a couple of weeks did ago. Did you? It was awesome. We'll awesome. talk about that later. Okay. Where was I at? You're talking about leadership and who's running your sales team. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So this is a long way of, t- of telling you a story. Okay. Uh, because maybe somebody out there, you know, can help us with this. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I'm biased towards that product management group. Okay. That's what I used to do. And, and I do, I think, a pretty darn good job of leading that team. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's a, that's a, that's a style and a way of a way of doing things the other side is um is led and but the the person leading it right now uh would really rather be the star performer he loves to coach mm-hmm. he loves to lead his heart like he is yep. he's just he's an awesome awesome person mm-hmm. and and he's done really a good job of leading but it pulls him a little bit out of his ultimate sweet spot mm-hmm. too. So we've got some things identified, some some changes we want to make. Mm-hmm. Business is always a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nice thing is, is like the building isn't on fire yeah. or anything. Yeah. They're they're being very successful. But I think what we need in that scenario is really more of a probably would look sort of like more of a corn and soy district or mm-hmm. regional sales manager, national sales mm-hmm. manager type concept. Mm-hmm. Somebody that's really coaching up those teams. Yeah. Um, because they're they're in the battle all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the trading team, although they have a lot of people that they interact with, it's not as many as our retail and yeah. dealer team would be. Yeah. There's all kinds of they have to clear yeah. more yeah. Uh, relationships. Well, one thing I learned over the years, I was fairly, fairly successful over the years in selling. I was the first employee at, at a Kelch and Seed Company when we got started, and I was put in charge of three states, those kind of things, and we're pretty successful. As we grew over the years, we got more people hired, and we ended up with 42 district managers, those kind of things. I became VP of sales, and one thing my boss told me, he says, you're always going to have a sales territory. Not a very big one, because I gave all my sales away to guys that hired, but he said, as long as you can sell like you can, and you have a little bit of a territory, you always know, and they always know, it can be done. And you always have your, what I like to do is sell, you can always satisfy that itch that you have too. And he was totally right. Um, so even as a leader, 
a certain point in time, you maybe you give the whole territory up, which I eventually did. But most of the time, um, that was an asset to me. Yeah, it, it's a yeah. it's a it's a process. I until very recently was was uh, active in some of that mm-hmm. work, and I I still dip in with a with a couple key relationships. It's more on a purchasing yeah. side, but really hardly at all. Yeah. And, and for a time, it was the right thing. But mm-hmm. then I got to a point where I was doing way more harm than good. Yeah. So, you mm-hmm. know, you look at that example yeah. of, of staying involved. I think that was good for a time. And then we got to this point where this company needed someone bleeding mm-hmm. vision and mission all yeah. the time. And, like, if you're in the trenches too yeah. much, yeah. Uh, then you lose some of that. Then you start acting like a, yeah. like a sales rep. <laughs> and, and that's a good thing. But, like, then it's like, let's keep going and right. let's, let's do this. And well, you say they don't let you do stuff. Yeah. To me, that's kind of like when you get a certain age with your parents – you don't want them involved anymore in your decisions. Yeah. And now you have people, employees that work for you. They said, yeah, I don't, I don't want you involved as much. I want to do this. Perfect. You know, that's exactly a sign of a great leader. So one thing I want to go back to is originally uh, early in the podcast, you talked about recognizing early on that you were just a small wholesale company. That's where you are, where you, where you were at that time. And here you are today with Agspire and this whole new vision. That's a long leap. So something had to happen between that time and this time with your thinking. Um, and how did you change your thinking? What did you associate with different people? Were you reading different things? How did you decide to let your mind go in those directions? I mean, can you take us through that journey a little bit? Yeah. Uh, well, definitely uh, surrounding yourself with, with other like-minded people and like-minded I would say to me would be people who are never satisfied with the status quo can yeah. see that there are more purposeful things to mm-hmm. do uh, more impact that can be made what's the statement it's it's hard to soar with the eagles if you're hanging out with a bunch sure. of turkeys <laughs> yeah like that's you, and and I would use I would there's advice there's yeah. advice for anybody listening uh, you're the I truly believe in the statement you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with exactly that is Jim Rohn th- that is a fact <coughs> yep uh, I, I will believe that forever. So think about that. People need to really think about that. Who their circle of influence is. Who's your circle? And my circle, I, I will be honest with you, my, my internal, the, 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 the close circle has changed and adapted mm-hmm. over the years, right? Like what do we, uh, I mean, there's someone in my internal circle right now um, that wasn't even there two years ago. So like you can't you can't get so stuck. And that doesn't mean that, yeah, maybe someone has been kicked out. It's not really kicked out. It's not, right. I'm not like I'm a disloyal person, right. but like life changes and life, mm-hmm. thing, things adapt. So that's been important. Uh, the other thing that has been important, um, I have a huge, uh, I'm really not big on school, but I have a huge hunger for knowledge, mm-hmm. a hunger and a thirst for knowledge. So um, Self-taught, self-teaching, right? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, certainly <laughs> learn by doing, but um, I have never... Uh, spared a dime on books, and I still buy mostly real ones. Uh, like, that shows <laughs> my age too. Yeah. I still buy mostly real ones, but um, we, were, my wife and I, were just talking about that the other day. Like the thousands that I've spent on books has been the best return on investment of anything that we've ever done. And there were times early on where uh, it was a big deal to go spend ninety dollars at Barnes and Noble. Like that was that was sort of crimping the budget, mm-hmm. but it was worth. That was a good thing to be spending it on. Um, and and what I like about books is that y- you you take different things away from them. And I've never really, like, fully implemented a book in anything that I've yeah. ever done. Some books I've finished 300 pages and probably didn't take a thing away from it. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But in most cases, I'm taking one thing. Yeah. I'm looking for one thing. One nugget. One nugget that I can apply. Mm-hmm. And... I've sort of had a, a progression of what I what I read and what I consume. Mm-hmm. Um, it was heavy on business books um, early on, um, and, and it transitioned into I'm very heavy on biographies now. Um, I like to look for situations in the past; mm-hmm. history repeats itself. Yeah. Uh, of individuals that have have built the types of things that we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? They certainly haven't built the exact organization, but have, have behaved that way and what made them tick. And, mm-hmm. and, and that is, that's fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Um, and I, I don't read a ton of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, I enjoy fiction. Mm-hmm. I, I think reading 100% fiction is way better than not reading at all. But you're constantly feeding your brain you have new to. things. Have to. Yeah. And I'm, I'm careful about what I feed it, though. <clears throat> So yeah. I don't watch Fo- I don't watch Fox News I don't watch CNN I don't yeah. watch CNBC I don't watch any of them yeah. I don't have any any Interest. cable I'm not yeah. subscribed to cable mm-hmm. um, but I I have a couple newsletters that that do a good job of just presenting the facts as they stand from the previous day or mm-hmm. what's going to be happening that day and I, I like to take ten minutes to be up on that mm-hmm. um, the other thing which reminded me when I was thinking about the newsletters the other thing that's been um, I think crucial. Uh, to being successful is is figuring out the areas in my life where I could develop a routine. So it's the it's pretty much the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. Up at 4:45 a.m., um, my wife is off to the gym, but before she goes, she brings me a cup of coffee. It's nice. so nice. It's like every morning. It's <laughs> like our it's like our thing. Wow. Right. Um, and and then uh, I'll spend time. That's that's my time. Mm-hmm. So I'll spend time. I I open my Bible first. And, and I read a section there and I think about that. And then I usually read a couple of devotionals and then on to uh, journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I mix up, sometimes I read the news and then I journal. Sometimes I journal and then I read the news. I really think I should journal before I read the news. <laughs> 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 but I'm trying to reflect on uh, the past day and then, you know, what's ahead. And, and it's fascinating. Uh, I've kept that for about seven or eight years now. Um, and a few months ago, I actually went back and reviewed uh, some of that, and, and it's 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 a great timeline uh, of of how things have gone. That's awesome. Yeah, routine is very important in your in your life, obviously, and in business, obviously. But you're a learner. You've learned a long time since you first worked at the original Melbourne and trying to sell without any preparation, right? All the way to where you are today, in a highly successful organization that to me is uh, a poster child for how to do it right. Well, I appreciate that, but uh, I don't know that we're quite... Well... We, we, we will never arrive, because if we think that we've ever arrived at some pinnacle, then... That all sounds really over. good on paper, but I think you've arrived as far as your understanding of how to do it. Now, execution is the challenge, yeah. right? Getting everybody to understand, new people coming on, growing the culture. That's a fair statement. Yeah, yeah that is a very yeah. fair statement. Yeah. Like the execution part piece yeah. never ends, but as far as having an understanding of what it takes, the principles, yeah. I, th- I, you You're know, we're, we're getting there. Yeah, exactly. So I can't thank you enough for, for the time you've taken, uh, Jody, for being here today with us. Uh, and again, I'm old enough to say this because I could be your grandpa. <laughs> But I'm really proud of what you've done. I think that uh, over the years watching you grow from the time that you were just uh, fledgling at Melbourne to running this organization, owning this organization, uh, and the vision you have at your age is amazing, especially in an industry that has really gone through a lot of turmoil and changes over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, It's just, you know, uh, amazing to watch a successful company. There aren't enough... uh, we do pot. We look for podcasts with people who are successful, obviously. Uh, and there are regional companies out there, companies out there who are highly successful that we haven't done that yet with, possibly. But uh, we're so grateful to have you as part of this, uh, leading this way in terms of companies who have taken it from scratch and understand it all the way through and have kept it intact all the way. So thank you for your time today, Matt. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And God bless all of you in your future. I know that you're going to be successful. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us in our podcast. We appreciate it. And uh, we hope you'll join us again next time. And between now and then, uh, happy selling. I'm Rod Ostis.